Hello, this is J. Daniel Sawyer, author of Sculpting God and the Antithesis Progression, and this is a preview of my upcoming patio book, Down from Ten, a mystery comedy drama that will begin podcasting June 20th from www.jdsawyer.net. Down from Ten, a novel by J. Daniel Sawyer, adapted from the original screenplay Down from Ten by J. Daniel Sawyer. With dust upon the picture frames and snow outside the window panes, the nighttime voices whisper fear, a demon's words out in the clear. You can make the whole world end if you but count down from ten. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two. Chapter one. E minus ten. Afternoon. The heavy clouds hung low on the horizon, or rather, as the road rose ever higher into the Sierra, they looked progressively lower and angrier. The valley farmlands and the high desert before that endured the moistureless air of the freezing winter drought. The clouds spilling in over the coastal foothills were a welcome harbinger. From the mountains, however, the view was different. The Volvo, still smart-looking and factory-fresh despite its 400,000 miles and almost a decade's worth of service, wended its way between the hundred-year-old pines, past the spires of igneous rock, through the long, bowl-shaped valleys carved by their glacial past. At the vista points that dotted the high road every few dozen miles, the view of the roiling thunderheads grew progressively more worrisome. Standing in his gray duster and felt hat, his red University of Paris muffler streaming behind him in the biting wind, dressed shoes to shoulders in a hand-tailored wool suit, Gerd Falkstein looked out over the foothills in the San Joaquin Valley with a sense of foreboding. The crumpled invitation gripped between the fingers of his lambswool glove suffered four visits to the dustbin before he'd finally given in, retrieved it, and looked up the directions to the new locale. For the last six years, the first week of January meant to drive up to Big Bear and a rented cabin to spend ten days with an extraordinary group of people. Ten days of rest from the travails of grading papers, fighting with journal editors, staff meetings, and the bright, shiny soullessness of the Las Vegas skyline. But that life was over now, and no matter how restful it had always been, it seemed wrong somehow to carry the retreat over into his new life. Gerd folded the piece of paper again and put it into his pocket, then pulled his hat low against the retreating sun and returned to his car. Growing up in Europe, most of what he'd known of California were its beaches, stuffed to bursting with an unlikely mixture of computer geeks and bikini-clad surfer girls roasting under an ever-clear sky and merrily pickling their livers in ever-clear and corona. Now, almost twenty years into his alien residency, most of them spent in California and Nevada, he could count on one hand the number of times he'd been to the coast on a sunny day. The mountains were the state's defining feature. No matter where you were in California, you couldn't look at the horizon on a clear day and not find it blocked by high hills or distant mountains of some kind. 
The winding road stretched on forever in front of him. Since he hadn't been here before, he didn't have a good sense of how much longer it would take him to arrive. Satellite photos and online directions didn't give him a good sense of what things looked and felt like on the ground, and already he'd burned through the audiobooks of Inferno and Purgatorio. As the final fifty miles rolled by like a nighttime forest breeze, Gerd found himself relieved that the event wasn't at Big Bear again this year. If it had been, he was sure he wouldn't have come. Too much there to remind him of the life he was just leaving behind. This way, perhaps, the retreat would feel more like a christening than a wake. The chateau, technically it was a mansion being stuck as it was in the middle of the far end of the American West, lay hidden at the end of a narrow driveway turning off the main highway and falling down a half dozen meters into a flat, wide lot cut out of the side of the mountain. The gaudy front looked like something dreamt up by Picasso for a class assignment in Tudor architecture, and the high eaves from the second story cantilevered sharply out over the circular car park in front of the garage. It looked like it could comfortably house 30, and yet Carol had said in her email last month, when she finally moved in, that it felt homey and intimate. Then again, her idea of intimate was one that he found delightfully unconventional, so he reserved judgment until he saw the inside. Gerd found an available spot close to the door and extricated himself from his automobile's leather embrace, the cold evening wind biting at his face as he mashed his fedora down over his brow. Overhead, the sky was clear and blue, and already littered liberally with stars unfamiliar to city dwellers, though he didn't trust it to remain that way for long. Taking his overnight bag and his laptop satchel from the back seat, he stepped in towards the door. It wasn't locked. The brass latch lifted easily, and the heavy black oak slab swung inwards, catching on a stop and holding itself open for his entrance. He'd been right to reserve judgment. Carol's tastes were, as ever, impeccable. The din blasted him in the face with the warm air as he stepped inside. Somewhere, buried under the layers of conversation, he heard someone plucking at a guitar and a young woman singing a desultory rendition of Wild Mountain Time. The house's double-wide foyer was nearly covered in frames. Photographs of past adventures, past retreats, and art experiments hung proudly next to prints from Bergerot and Waterhouse, while along the vaulted ceiling hung small chandeliers, sized just right to make the roof seem much farther away than it actually was. Gerd stopped at the rack and doffed his hat and coat, hanging them smartly next to the others already there. Kevin's unmistakable black leather sport coat, Katie's motorcycle leathers, Carol's neo-Victorian overcoat, Sarah's dreamcatcher knit shawl, and two he didn't recognize, a basic brown frock and a tan bomber jacket. As he hung his things, he tripped the stop with his foot and let the door swing closed again. Next to the rack hung an old, stained sepia portrait of a stately blonde in an underbust corset and holding a riding crop, her left foot resting elegantly on an ottoman as if she were waiting to have her toes polished by an eager shoeshine boy. The casual observer might have pegged this as a kitschy use of Victorian porn, but anyone who knew Carol would recognize her in the photo and the unmistakable message it conveyed. The mistress of the house welcomes you. Behave. All the regular attendees had heard that in Carol's opening remarks every year since Gerd had started coming. 
The whole place screamed, Carol. The tasteful decadence, the constant play at overload and degeneracy combined with the flawless use of space and proportion. Yes, he decided. It would be a christening, and not a wake. It would be a good thing. Gerd picked up his bags, counted down from ten, and strode forward into the living room. And that's the preview. I hope you'll all join me. And for those of you who were around for Antithesis, do stay subscribed to the feed, as in the weeks between there will be a number more special features that you may well enjoy, including an upcoming preview for Book 2 in the Antithesis progression, Free Will, and Other Compulsions. Thanks for sticking with me through my first book. I hope the next one will be just as much fun for all of you. And you'll hear me soon.